today in, in person, as well as those that are listening on the radio or watching Facebook Live. A few announcements to start this morning. The annual meeting to elect our officers, hear reports from the trustees, the treasurer, the committees, and to approve the proposed 2020 budget, 2021 budget, will be held today following the worship service. With that being said, there is no Sunday school or confirmation class today. Child care is available in the ministry center. 
The Sunday school students can report to the ministry center or stay with parents for the meeting. Confirmation students are required to attend. If you haven't signed up yet for the free Right Now Media account, uh, we encourage you to give it a try. There's information in the bulletin and on our website for getting signed up. Pastor Joel. Good morning, First Church family. I want to just take a moment to address the comments that I made. The comments that I made last week. I said last week that words matter, and that includes my own words. It's not just a matter of what you say, but how, when, and where you say it. In my attempt to address a very difficult situation, some of my comments were inappropriate, especially given the context. I missed the mark. And I don't want what's said from this pulpit, including my own words, to be a hindrance to the ministry of the gospel and the ministry of this church. I understand that those comments upset some people. And for that, I sincerely and I humbly apologize. It was certainly not my intention. I want to thank each person that reached out to me and spoke to me directly or reached out to spiritual counsel to express their concerns. I appreciate that you have the confidence and trust in me to do so. For those of you who may not have felt comfortable reaching out to me directly, I want you to know that my door is always open. You can call or text any time, and I'd be glad to talk with you about anything. What happened at the Capitol building last Wednesday was a tragedy. We should all condemn the violence and mourn the fact that five individuals lost their lives during that event, one of them a Capitol Police officer. Romans 12:15 reminds us that we should mourn with those who mourn. So let's mourn together about the tragic events that took place. But let's do more than mourn. Right? Let's pray. Pray for our nation. Pray for our president, our representatives and senators, for our Supreme Court justices. Let's pray for all leaders at all levels of government. The days, weeks, and months ahead won't be easy. 1 Timothy 2, 1-4 says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Let's also pray for the church. Let's put our hope in Christ and in Him alone. Let's ask God to help us be a light in a dark world. May the light of Christ shine through us so that the world sees and glorifies our Father who is in heaven. Let's learn from this. I certainly have. And let's move forward together. Thank you. I would ask everyone that can, please rise and we'll have our call to worship. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And while we stand, let's sing hymn number two, Come Thou Font of Every Blessing.
You may be seated. Now I ask all the children to come forward for children's chat and the choir to get ready for their song. <laughs> come over here. Now, is there any confirmation kids that want to come down? They're welcome. <laughs> Not? Okay. Miss Stetler, can you read that? God loves me. Okay, say it real loud. God loves me. Is that right? Is that true? Yes, you can keep that. There's other ones for the rest of you down there. God loves us. How many have brothers and sisters? Yeah. Did you know them before they were born? No. But you know God knew you before you were born? That is pretty awesome, isn't it? And he knows you now. And he loves us. Now, how many of you know me? Kind of, huh? Elizabeth's grandma, huh? Yeah. Who else knows me? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? You don't know who I am? I'm the children chat lady, right? <laughs> Among many other things we won't share, but children chat lady. And you know what? God knows me. He knows all about me. He knows how many hair you have in your head. Now, have you ever tried counting all the hair on your head? Now, some gentlemen don't have a, too much of a problem. You've got a lot of hair, don't you? But God knows how many. And the Bible says in Luke. Yeah. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are numbered. Can you imagine knowing exactly how many hairs are in your head? God knows all about us, everything. Now, God loves me just the way I am. Does he love you just the way you are? Yes. Yes, he's a very forgiving God, isn't he? You know, it's like you love your mommies, right? Everybody love their mommies? What does she do to make you love her? Just be your mommy. Right? God loves us because we're his children. And he loves us all about, and he proved that by sending his son, Jesus Christ. Like it says in John 3:16, For God so loved the world, he sent his only son. So God knows who we are. He knows all about us. And he loves us just the way we are. But you know what? Does God's love ever change? Real loud. No, it never changes. Hebrews 13.8 says, and these are all things from the Bible, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. God loves us. His love is Constant and true. He doesn't change. And his love doesn't change. 
You and I might change, mightn't we? But God loves us. He loves, you know, and he'll never stop loving you. And he'll wait for you to come back to him if you happen to go off the path. He only wants the best for us. So we know that God knows who we are. He knows all about us. God loves us just like we are right now. And his love never changes. God loves us. Let us pray and thank God for his love. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you for knowing us. Thank you for never changing. We love you back. Amen. Thank you.
Wonderful. Thank you so much. As we continue on in our service of worship here this morning, let's think about how we can be praying for each other. Uh, let's continue to lift up the names and families and situations that are represented in our prayers and concerns list uh, that is represented in your bulletin. Uh, we also want to continue to pray for those uh, that are affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, certainly just because the calendar flipped into 2021 does not mean that that has disappeared by any means. So let's continue to pray for those that are affected by it. Um, and continue to lift up, um, lift up those, especially those that are on the front lines as well, not just those who are sick and been infected, but those that are, that are working in our hospitals and, and health, as health care providers. Uh, let's continue to lift them up as well. The offering this morning does go to support our radio ministry, another, another thing that we have been blessed by as a church for many years, but especially this past year is our radio ministry and the ability to continue to share the gospel and especially reach people in our own community with God's word um, during a time when people weren't able to necessarily come and meet here in person. So your offering today will support the radio ministry. If you're able to give, I encourage you to do so as you exit the sanctuary here today. Or if you're listening on the radio or watching on Facebook, you can give by going to our website, firstchurchnk.org. This time I want to invite you to stand as we continue to praise our God together. Let's sing the next praise song, His Mercy is More. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morning, our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. What love could remember, no wrongs we have done, omissions all
Father God, we come humbly to you this morning, recognizing your, your love for us, Lord, is greater than, than the, the sins in our lives, is greater than the hardship we face, that your mercy is greater, Lord, than any circumstances we face. As our call to worship reminded us this morning that there, there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We thank you for that promise. And we thank you for that good hope, which comes only from you and your word. Lord, we come knowing, Lord, that we don't deserve your love. We don't deserve your grace, your mercy. But you offer it to us freely through Jesus Christ and through the presence of your Holy Spirit. And so we cling on to that hope. We hold on to that promise today. Lord, there are many who are hurting in this place, uh, facing challenges that they don't know what to do with facing health problems, Lord, that they are, that are beyond their control, or facing other challenges, Lord, that may not, be, may not be known to us today, but you know, Lord. As Carolyn reminded us during our children's chat, you know the number of hairs on each one of our heads. And so, Lord, you also know what we bring into the sanctuary here this morning, what we carry with us as we're listening on the radio or watching on Facebook. You know, Lord, and you know what it is we need. So we ask that you would provide that you would supply, Lord, um, whatever we need according to your will to face the challenges that each day brings. You are a good father who cares, cares for his children, and there's nothing more we could ask than that. So, Lord, we pray that your will would be done in each of those situations, that, that you would move and act according to your will and not our own. Lord, we have an idea of what we need. We have an idea of what we want or what we think is best. But Lord, help us to have the faith to trust you and not ourselves. Help us to have the, the, the ability, Lord, to know your word and to hold fast to those promises, even when we don't feel like they are true in our lives or circumstances. Because your word is true, Lord, no matter what. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 10. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. 
he swears no one will ever do me harm. His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent. His eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover, he lies in wait. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. Arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he himself, why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that could not otherwise be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You, Lord, hear the desires of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. Defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. Thank you very much. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the reading of your word. And as we turn now our attention to it, that you would guide our hearts and our minds. We thank you, Lord, that your word is true and good in all seasons and all days. And we ask now that you would meet us here in this place, that your spirit would guide us into all truth so that we may know and believe who you are and especially, Lord, how to respond when things are difficult in our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask that you give me the words to speak and you open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Heard a story recently about a man who decided um, to give himself to God and, and go and join a monastery. And so he goes and commits himself. He sells everything. He gives up everything in his life and goes and, and says that he's going to live there and do whatever it is that they say. And so they tell him that he must commit to a vow of silence. And he's only allowed to say two words every ten years. And so he's committed and he decides to do it. And so ten years pass and he utters not a single word. And the head of the monastery comes to him and he says, All right, your ten years has passed. What do you have to say? And he said, Food, bad. So he goes back and he has another 10 years continuing his vow of silence and another 10 years passes and the head of the monastery comes to him again and he says, all right, your time is up. Do you have anything to say? And he says two words once again, bed hard. So he goes back and has his vow of silence again. Another 10 years pass and he utters not a single word, does everything that the the people at the monastery are asking him to do. 10 years pass. The head of the monastery approaches him and offers him an opportunity to speak two words again. And he looks out, he looks straight at the head of the monastery and he says, I quit. He looks at, and and so the head of the monastery looks at him and says, well, it doesn't surprise me. All you've done is complain since you've been here. You see, we started last week and, and, and looked at lament in the Bible, and we talked about what lament is, right? It's more than just complaining. It's more than just crying, You know, all people know how to do that. 
It's more than just how to grieve. Lament is uniquely Christian because it's crying with a purpose, right? It's, it's, it's crying out to God, crying out towards Him. And, and if we're honest ourselves, right, that's not something that comes to us easily. We may complain well, right? We may, we may grieve a lot, but we don't know necessarily how to do it in a, in a God-honoring, faithful way. And that's what lament is all about. It's bringing our, bringing all of the, uh, the stuff that, that living in a broken and sinful world works up in us, but not letting it control us. And it's about bringing it to God and allowing Him to work in and through it. And I mentioned last week how common it is in the Bible, right? It, we have 150 Psalms in the Old Testament, and almost one-third of them are categorized as lament. And it's sprinkled throughout the rest of Scriptures as well. Now think about what the Psalms are. The Psalms were basically... God, the, the hymn book, the, the song book of God's people for a long time, generations and generations. If you were to flip through the Psalms, right, and, and read them regularly, you'll notice that there's actually some musical references at the headings of some of the Psalms talking about the tune that they should be put in or that this is a Psalm that is supposed to be given to the choir director, those sorts of things. And so and most of the Psalms were actually either, either read rhythmically or sung out loud as part of the worship of God's people. Now think about those two things, right? Those were the regular songs and, and, and praises and worship songs of God's people, and almost a third of them were laments. Now what does it say about how God invites us to interact with Him? We typically, on a, on a kind of a normal run-of-the-mill Sunday, sing three congregational songs together, right? Usually one at the beginning, one kind of in the middle, one at the end. Now think about... What it would be like, that would mean that if we followed the pattern of the Psalms, that would mean one song every service would be in the minor key. One song every service would be a song of sorrow and grief. But that's not how we normally do things, is it? We tend to stick to the uplifting songs because those are easier to sing about, right? It's much more comfortable to sing uh, praises to God, especially when times are going well. But if we're going to follow the example of Scripture, we need to recognize that lament should be a normal part of how we interact with God. Crying out to Him about what's going on in our lives. And so lament is not wrong, right? It's, it's modeled for us throughout Scripture. It's our God-given way to deal with the hardships of life. And lament is necessary because, as I mentioned already, we live in a broken and sinful world. Right? And we are broken and sinful people. So that means that naturally we're going to face hard times. Some of it of our own making, some of it completely out of our control. But the reality is our experience in this world is, is going to be one that is filled with grief and hardship. I'm not saying all of the time. There's joy in there too, right? But, but the reality is we live in a world that is broken and therefore, we are going to experience that brokenness in our own lives. And so there's a tension in lament, right? There's a tension because, because that it means that, that our experience in this world will not always perfectly line up with what we know to be true about God from Scripture. Let me say that again, right? There, there's this tension in lament because our experience in this world does not always line up with what we know about God from Scripture. So on the one hand, Scripture says that God is all-powerful, that He's sovereign, that He's loving, that, he's, that He cares for us, right? And all of those things are true. But on the other hand, we ex our experience in this world sometimes shows us the opposite. 
We wonder where God is in the midst of suffering. We know that God's will is, God is sovereign and all powerful, yet we experience the reality of evil in the world, right? And so lament is the tension between those two realities, that God is good and loving and powerful and gracious and righteous and just, but we live in a world where those qualities are not always experienced and felt. Does that make sense? Lament is living in between those two realities. In Job chapter 10, Job's probably a very a familiar example of what it means to complain and cry out to God. Job chapter 10, verse 1, Job says this. He says, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free rein to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. Right, Central to the idea of lament, living in that tension, is the ability to complain. Now, we don't complain aimlessly and we don't complain without purpose. We complain with a purpose. Right? Some, of, some people like to complain for no better reason than just to complain. A couple weeks ago at the annual, not the annual meeting, that's today, but at the meeting two weeks ago to prepare for the annual meeting, um, on January 3rd, right, we had the, the motion to accept the slate of nominees for, the, for officers of the congregation for the next year. That's just, um, for, for the most part, a formality, but a necessary one to prepare for our meeting today. And so after church, I know many of you stuck around and we had that meeting, and Aaron, as the president of the congregation, made the motion to accept those, those nominees and all in favor say aye, and you know, just about everybody says aye. And there's always that opportunity, just in case, right? And they say, all opposed, same sign. Well, I heard after the fact, because I didn't hear it, my three, almost three-year-old sat over here in the corner and said aye to the complaints, right? There's, he had no idea what he was doing, apparently, you know, but I heard about it afterwards, and some others did too. See, this side is laughing because they heard it. There's some people that just like to, to, to say I to complain just to complain. That's not what we're talking about here today. When we talk about complaining as part of lament, it's complaining with a purpose. Lament includes godly complaint. And we'll talk about more what that means in just a moment. The four movements of lament, and that's what we're walking through together, are turning to God, complaint, to ask boldly, and to choose to trust. Last week, we focused on the importance of turning to God, not away from him, when life gets hard. And today, we're going to talk about godly complaint, which is really central to the whole idea of lament. And so we need to talk about what godly complaint is. We need to talk about complaining in the right way. First of all, we need to recognize the difference between self-centered anger and godly complaint. There's a lot in this world that makes us angry, but that doesn't mean it's always justified. right? James knew this when he wrote... In James 1, 19 through 20, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. All right? Scripture's pretty clear. Not all anger is justified. Not all anger is godly. So the first thing we need to do when we are upset about something is to ask, should I be angry about this? Right? It's important to ask that question of ourselves. Or am I angry because... I was hurt, or am I angry because God would be angry about this? Notice the the distinction in that question, right? Am I angry because I'm angry, or is this something that God Himself would be angry about? Right? Those are that's a very important question to ask. Godly complaint, however, the opposite of that self-centered anger, 
Godly complaint is grounded in the promises of God and the truth of his word. It recognizes the contrast between the promises of God and his holiness and his justice and his righteousness and the reality of a sinful world. And Jesus demonstrated this for us. Think about what happened in Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 17. I want to read those verses for you. Again, that's Mark 11, 15 through 17. This is Jesus as it's the, it's the day of, it's, it's actually Palm Sunday. Jesus coming into Jerusalem. He's, he's hailed as, as this coming king and, and the crowds are singing his praises. And that very day he goes to the temple courts. In verse 15, it says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise throughout the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, it is, not written, excuse me, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now notice what Jesus is demonstrating for us here. Jesus was upset, right? He flipped tables. He kicked the money changers out of the temple courts, but he didn't sin, right? We know that to be true about Jesus, that he was perfectly obedient all that he did and he never sinned. So he must not have sinned here in this case either. Because he was concerned not about himself, in a sense, but, but about the temple and the right way to worship God. And he even quoted scripture, right? He knew God's word as a way to justify what he was doing. There's a song by the band Casting Crowns. It's called Jesus, Friend of Sinners. And the chorus says, break my heart for what breaks yours. Right? I think that's at the core of lament, right? Asking God to break our heart for what breaks God's heart when we're able to get in tune with that, when we're able to understand what God really cares about, what God is passionate about, what God's will is for this world, we'll begin to see how this world and our experience and it doesn't always line up with God's will. And it's those things, those things that are central to what it means to lament and offer godly complaint. I talked briefly last week about how our response to uh, the circumstances in life can can swing wildly and we can err on, on the end, two ends of the same spectrum. And I want to touch on that again. Two responses when we complain, when we, when we experience injustice or experience grief and pain in this world and we cry out to God, we can sometimes do that in two ways that are also equally unhealthy. One is to respond at anger at God or towards God. Right. Anger at God is just um, anger at God, just as much as the circumstances we find themselves in or the people that are involved. And some people become so bitter at God that it damages their relationship with him. And some even leave the faith as a result of it. There's a, a pretty popular, um, I don't even know what to call this movement um, theme uh, trend nowadays that are called deconversion stories. Have you guys heard of this? Deconversion stories. It's people sharing their story about how they left the church and lost their faith. It's like a testimony of sorts, but in the wrong direction, right? And there's people out there that, that go out and they talk about how they left the faith and they no longer believe in God and that the, and, and are no longer part of the church. And central to so many of those deconversion stories is a painful experience that they went through, sometimes related to the church, sometimes not. But, but their, their, the anger that has come out of that painful experience has created this situation where, where they're angry at God 
for what happened and therefore becomes a, it becomes a, a wall, it becomes a wedge between them and God and their relationship with him suffers as a result of it. The other wrong response, the other wrong response is denial. Right? We can be angry at God and hold him at fault for the pain we experience, but we can also just deny that we're in pain to begin with, right? I talked last week about bottling it up and sweeping it under the rug, right? That's a wrong response as well. I think I've shared here before the idea that there, there's a Christian F word out there that we need to be careful with, right? And it's not the one you're thinking of. It's fine, right? When someone asks you how you're doing and how life is going and you just respond, I'm fine, when really it's not, right? And we too often do that. We resort to that. We say, I'm fine, and we just bottle up the anger, bottle up the pain, and pretend like it doesn't exist. And all it's going to do is eat away at us like cancer from the inside. So both of those responses leave something to be desired. Lament offers us a third way. Lament is about being honest with God about the hurt, expressing your complaint to God, and then moving toward resolution. And that's the key to this whole series. As we're talking about what it means to lament well, the key is, is right here in, in complaint and how we handle it. Right? It's the turning point of the whole idea of lament. Because lament isn't just aimless bickering. It's not a pity party. Lament is the ability to express real, honest complaint to God and then move toward a resolution. Lament is an exercise in trust, and godly complaint is the turning point. It's the moment of decision. Right? Are, am I going to allow my pain to bring me closer to God or drive me away from Him? Remember the tension that we talked about earlier, right, between the two realities, God's Word and His promises and the experiences that we go through in this life? Right? God is good, but life is hard, and that's where complaint enters the picture. Lament is found in the gap between what we know to be true about God and what we honestly experience in this world. Stacy Smith, I believe that's how you pronounce her last name, said this, A lament honestly and specifically names a situation or circumstance that is painful, wrong, or unjust. In other words, a circumstance that does not align with God's character and therefore does not make sense within God's kingdom. See, that's what it's about. Lament is an, is an act of trust because it's bringing to God, right, our complaints and trusting Him, trusting the promises of God despite the evidence to the contrary, right? It's the intentional decision to believe that God's word is true even in the midst of suffering and pain. See, there's a huge gap all too often between our head and our heart, Right? between what we know to be true on an intellectual level and what we feel or how we respond to, to the circumstances that we're in. And lament helps us bring those two things closer together because it reminds us of what we know to be true, but also acknowledges the reality of what we're feeling and what we're experiencing. And it's lament that helps us move in the right direction towards the truth of God's word, not away from it. And so, so, so this stage of lament, complaining, is an invitation from God to bring your questions and your frustrations to Him. Questions are important. We can't just dismiss the feelings that come from the experiences that we go through. I talked about this a bit last week, about the importance of, of being honest with God and asking Him questions about, about what's happening. They're part of the journey and an aspect of what it means to really trust God. 
You see, doubt is not the enemy of faith. We think that doubt is somehow inherently wrong. But I want to tell you here today, doubt is not inherently wrong. It's just a matter of what you do with it. Right? Doubt is a place where faith can be strengthened and faith can grow because you're honest about what's going on and, and honestly bringing those questions before God. Right? Think of the disciple Thomas. Right? We all famously know him as Doubting Thomas. Right? After the resurrection, he was not there when Jesus first appeared to the other disciples. And so when he heard reports about what had happened, he didn't, he didn't exactly believe it at first. He said, I'll believe when I see the, the wounds in his hands, when I see the, the hole in his side, and I can, I can see it and touch it for myself, then I'll believe. How does Jesus respond to that? Jesus responds by appearing to Thomas and inviting him to inspect the wounds for himself. Jesus didn't rebuke Thomas for his questions. Jesus didn't rebuke Thomas for his doubts. He invited him to see for himself the truth of the claims. See, that's what questions can do. When we're honest with the questions and we bring them to God, he invites us to see the truth of who he is and his will for this world. Questions like, why did this happen to me? Or how could God possibly do this are central to lament. And so we're called to bring our questions directly to God because he can handle them. Again, look at, we're, we're using these psalms throughout this study as, as more of a model for what we're talking about here. Look at Psalm 10, verse 1. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Right? Those are questions. Those are hard questions. Those are very important questions. But they're questions that are aimed at God. Do you see the difference there? He's bringing those questions to God in the midst of his hardship and pain. Michael Jenkins said, The Psalms of Lament open us up to the greatness of a God who not only can hear, but also can handle our pain, our self-pity, our blame, and our fear. Who can respond to our anger, our disillusionment in the midst of oppression and persecution, under the boot of a tyranny, in our sense of God-forsakenness, in the face of life's most profound alienations and exiles. I'm so thankful that we worship a God who's big enough to both hear us and understand, who's big enough to hear our prayers and respond. And that belief is at the core of lament. We need to bring our questions and our doubt, but we also need to bring our frustrations. Part of lament is, is, is recognizing the reality that life is not fair. Right? Whoever told you that life would be fair was lying to you or deceived themselves, right? Life is not fair. Right? Two of the biggest questions that people have wrestled with since the beginning of time are, why do the wicked prosper and why do the righteous suffer? Right? And Psalm 10 wrestles with that question directly as well. Verses 2 through 11 are a series of complaints aimed at the success of wicked people. They seem to succeed even though they reject God and commit evil acts. And it's only, it's only natural for people to be frustrated. But let your frustrations push you towards God, not away from Him. Right? Lament is the invitation to complain, to get it off your chest and then talk to the Lord about it. And I, want, I mean actually talk with Him, right? Pray about it. Talk about what's going on. Because I believe that the experience that most people will go through is when you, when you talk with Him, when you get it off your chest, right? God can work in that and help us to see ourselves and our situations from a different perspective. 
But that can only happen when we bring those complaints to God and allow Him to work in it. So there's four things I want to encourage you with as we begin to wrap up our time here this morning. What can we learn about how to complain the right way? The first thing we need to know is we need to come humble. We need to come humble to the throne of grace. We need to know who we're talking to, right? When we complain, when we... God invites us to complain. That's what we're talking about here today. But when we do so, we need to remember the one that we're complaining to. The story of Job, again, I referenced Job earlier. For, for some 36 or 37 chapters, Job and his friends take turns trying to either complaining about what had happened to Job or trying to make sense and explain away the suffering and pain that he's experienced. And for 37 or so chapters, God is pretty much silent and just lets them have at it. But in chapter 38, God event- finally does address Job and the complaints that he has. And in God's response was a question. He tells Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of this world? Right? That's a question that kind of puts Job and puts all of us in our place, doesn't it? When we complain to God, when we, when we bicker and, 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 and cry out to Him, sometimes we put things in our own perspective. And we judge God based on our own experience or standards. When we need to recognize that God is bigger than us. Isaiah 55 says that, this is God speaking, He says, Now my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Right? We need to recognize that. We need to come humbly to God. He invites us to complain, but we need to understand who we're talking to and put it in perspective. The second thing we need to do is pray the Bible. The Psalms are so powerful because they cover a variety of topics and human emotions. Reading the Bible and praying it back to God in your own words is important because it gives you kind of a biblical language and, and framework to work within. Right? Some guidelines to keep our complaints from going off the rails. I want to encourage you to, to, to do something this week, maybe a helpful exercise. Maybe you have something in your mind and your heart that you're struggling with and you need to complain to God about. Or maybe not, and maybe this is just an exercise um, that you can, you can try out. But I want you to, to pick a psalm, and it could be Psalm 10, it could be 77 that we talked about last week. There's a lot of psalms that you can, you can draw from. But I want you to do three things. I want you to read it over a couple times. Read it. Really kind of try to understand what is being said and not just skim over the hard parts. Then I want you to try to put what is being said in your own words. Right? What is the psalmist complaining about? What is his concern here? And how does he respond to it? And the third step is, the most, is, is a really important one as well. And that is to take what is happening in the psalm and apply it to your own life. Right? What, what, is, what is the psalmist complaining about and how does that inform your situation? How does that help you understand what you're going through? Right? And, and make that a prayer to God. Right? And, and I think you'll find that when you do that, it'll help you put things into perspective, but it'll also give you a way to deal with what you're going through in a godly and faithful way. Rather than just being off the rails and just complaining over and over and over again, it gives you something, gives you a structure to work within. Right? We need to pray the Bible because we need to know the promises of God. Not just a model for us to follow, but also an anchor for us to hold on to. What we believe about God informs how we will react to difficult situations. All right, think about how, 
how children respond to their parents when when they're hurt or when they're in trouble, right? If they have a good relationship with their parent, if 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 the parent has modeled good, loving uh, behavior, then that child is going to feel comfortable going to their parent and talking about what's happening. But if a child is over, or if, excuse me, if a parent is overbearing, if a parent is always at the child and 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 there's frustration there, the child is less likely to go to the parent and talk to him about it, right? And so the same is true with our relationship with God. How we view him, whether we view him as a loving parent or an overbearing parent, will help us, will inform how we respond in those situations. And so we need an accurate view of God, and that only comes from knowing his word. We need to believe the promises. We need to know the promises, and we need to trust the promises, right? Life won't make sense if our beliefs about God aren't based in Scripture. If you believe God just wants you to be happy all the time, life's not going to make sense. If you believe that God will give you everything you want, if you just say a prayer and add in Jesus' name at the end, right, as some sort of uh, uh, like, <laughs> um, like pushing the right buttons and saying the right words is going to force God to answer your prayer for you, right, then, then life's not going to make sense because God doesn't work that way. So we need to have accurate, true, good understanding of who God is in order for us to understand and make sense of the world around us. The promises of God, as I said already, leaves us room to lament. They teach us the way things should be, even if we don't feel or experience it. Two more real quick. One is we, need, we also need to be honest. When we complain to God, we need to be honest with him, not just about our experiences and what we're going through, but how we feel and react to it. Because God understands he knows what we're going through. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows what we're feeling in our heart and in our minds already. So we better be honest with him, right? There's no sense in hiding it. He's not surprised by anything, even our complaints. So it does no good to hide it from him. It just shows a lack of trust and a lack of respect for God to try to. And finally, we need to not just complain. To, to, to complain as part of lament is not an end in itself. God doesn't call us to just wallow in our pain, to throw a big pity party and just stay there, right? The whole point of, of what we've talked about so far, of turning to God in prayer and being honest about our complaints and, and offering godly complaints, is not to just stay there and call it a day. Everything we've talked about so far is meant to bring us to a point where we move through this, and express our trust in God. All right, it's means to another end. And that's what happens at the end of Psalm, chapter, Psalm 10. 12, verses 12 through 18 are all about, he, he spent the first half of the psalm acknowledging his pain, acknowledging his questions, his frustrations, bringing his complaints to God. And then verses 12 through 18 are a turning point, choosing still, even in spite of that, to trust him. I want to leave you with one, one more image for, for how to understand that. And that is, that is surgery, right? When we, when we go through lament, when we go through pain, right? It's, it's, like, it's like that surgeon's cut with a scalpel, right? It's going to hurt. You, sometimes you need to cut away what is bad in order for what is good to heal. And that's what happens that's what happens in surgery. You go get you get a tumor removed. You get um, tendons fixed or bones put back in place. The process is painful, and there's no way around that. But it's but it's all part of the healing process. 
And that's true about lament as well. It's hard. It's painful. Life is not easy. But it's in those moments, right, that God can bring healing, that God can bring uh, reassurance, that God can make himself known. But we can't experience that. We can't truly know the depths of God's goodness and his mercy and his grace if we can't first come to him in godly complaint and lament. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, that you invite us. Lord, more than invite us, you command us, Lord, to come to you and to cry out to you. Lord, life is not easy. And and we can all honestly admit to that. But you invite us, Lord, to trust you in the middle of it, to trust your will and your promises and your word, even if our experiences in this world don't line up with it. So help us, Lord, give us the faith to trust you enough to to complain when we see things that aren't right in this world and to seek you out for how to make sense and understand it because you are good and you are God and we believe that no matter what. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we close our service of worship this morning, I invite you to stand and let's sing our final praise song, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone.
Before I give the benediction, I just want to remind you all that we have our annual meeting after the service here today. Uh, we're going to need about five to ten minutes or so to just get things switched over, get the radio ready for broadcast. Um, just a couple things I want to remind you of. One, if you did not pick up an annual report, there are copies on the front pew as well as the info center at the doors. Feel free to take this opportunity to grab one. If you have children here this morning, then uh, there is child care being offered in the big room in the ministry center. Um, so take this opportunity to bring them over there and, and let them run around and be crazy while we're having our meeting here. Um, and um, I invite you, yeah, if you're a member, to, to please please stick around and be a part of this meeting. Um, if you're a guest with us today and not a member, you're welcome to stick around, I, I suppose, if you want to see how things work. Uh, but we do uh, thank you for being here and appreciate your, you coming to worship with us this morning. So let's take a moment. Let's close with a, a benediction. Uh, may the love of God, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace. Praise the hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a Yeah.